The end times are upon us. Major League Baseball contraction has begun, and we're going to talk about it all here and what that can mean for your favorite indie ball team. Here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 82 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. It's Nick, it's Will here. We're going to break down any and all news regarding Major League or Independent League Baseball, rather. Not Major League Baseball, I'm boycotting that because the DH is a heathen thing that shouldn't exist in any sort of baseball. But Here we go with that. No, no, that's for later in the season. That's when we really get into the winter and there's nothing to talk about. But. but yeah, we got some independent league news. We got some American Association news. A new manager in Rockland slash New York slash whatever they're calling themselves these days. Uh, obviously, though, I think we all kind of know where the main story of the week lies, and that's the Appalachian League's new look. It's the MILB's finally dead look, and uh, our news rather. And yeah, that's, I guess, the starting point for this week. Outside of that and stuff, there really isn't too much this week. It was a light week overall, uh, news-wise, as far as independent league baseball is concerned. So, I guess with that, we could just kind of uh, jump into the Appalachian League news. And uh, what came out, I believe it was Tuesday that that news came out. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the news came out that the Appalachian League, as a professional league, was over. That That's done. But the Appalachian League will still continue to exist as a summer collegiate league. It will be a wooden bat league and focus primarily on freshmen and sophomores in college. The first part of the prospect development pipeline for Major League Baseball and will have a 54 game schedule with 10 teams in the league. I believe there was 10 teams to begin with, and they're all just rebranding to fit, which makes sense because a lot of them were named after their major league parent club. I know like the Kingston Mets, Elizabethtown Mm -hmm. Twins, I think Johnson City Cardinals were there too. So obviously you're going to have to do a little bit of rebranding here. So uh, that's how that is in the Appalachian League. I will say it seems like there's been a lot of fairly positive response from Appalachian League operators. They got more than they were expecting. I don't know if that's the consensus around all of them, but at least some of them are feeling that way. And I'm kind of uh, conflicted here as to how I feel about this. Kind of how I took from it is it's obvious. It was very expected. We knew that I did, to be honest with you, I didn't know the contraction was going to happen. Well, on the 29th, I know it was reported about eh, like about five to six days earlier. It came out. Uh, that this was going to be the case. This was going to be the announcement on Tuesday. So I, I think it was definitely expected for a while. I think we knew that teams in the Appalachian League were not going to uh, continue as affiliated uh, affiliated teams. Kind of had some hope that they could become Frontier League teams, some of them. I think it, I think it could make a lot of sense. Unfortunately, uh, that did not happen. But kind of what I, from what I took from it is... Um, Obviously, the MLB didn't waste any time uh, starting to cut off the, I guess you could call it weak links of their minor league system, uh, for lack of a better term. And to me, you cut, some people kind of roll their eyes at um, that like uh, summer collegiate league because there's so many of them. 
throughout the country like you don't know what you're getting all of them say that hey we have elite college players but is it like cape cod league level or is it like this random league in the middle of virginia like there's there's so many and so it's kind of hard to tell because they all say they have elite college players but the interesting part of this is that this is a collaborative effort between major league baseball and usa baseball uh for those that aren't really familiar with with the college game a lot of a lot of top of those top college prospects that you might see go play in the Cape Cod League or uh, other other top leagues like that, USA Baseball gets to pick a national team about like twenty five to thirty guys that basically they get they get first dibs on any college players they want. So uh, if anybody following college baseball now or uh, Major League Baseball knows of Vanderbilt pitcher Kumar Rocker. He would have been easily on the team USA. Uh, the you uh, he would have been on the uh, first team for USA Baseball. Uh, so what this sounds like to me is that this could potentially become the best uh, collegiate league in the country because not only of that that USA Baseball affiliation, which obviously no other summer collegiate leagues have you look at kind of their board of directors i guess you could say i mean look at the guys on this list you have tim corbin head baseball coach at vanderbilt gil kim the director of player development with with the toronto blue jays we have the assistant general manager with the philadelphia phillies i mean you have a lot you have the head baseball coach john savage the head baseball coach at ucla i mean there are some really really high level high profile guys that are affiliated with this league and i know people kind of roll their eyes at summer collegiate but if this were to become like the top of the top summer collegiate league i'd almost kind of argue that that's pretty similar instead of like just advanced rookie ball where some a lot of a good amount of the top prospects don't really play anyway i think it's actually pretty interesting for these uh, for these Appalachian League teams because one it could be better for them financially especially that you'd think if this were to become an elite college league they don't um, the attendance would be pretty much similar to uh, an affiliated affiliated rank and they don't have to pay their players because it's uh because all these guys are going back to college after the summer. So I think it's a really interesting proposition then and I, I don't think there this is gonna be the same thing for other teams that get cut because listen, this is a ten team league. This is the Appalachian League. There is MLB and USA baseball aren't aren't going to partner with every single team that gets cut under the sun and make them an elite college league, kind of like this. But based on my initial reading of this, I do see this potentially taking the spot from the Cape Cod League as maybe the the elite top-of-the-top summer collegiate league in the country. And I think that's a really interesting proposition for teams and, and fans out there. And I don't... It's hard to say now whether that's a definite improvement, but I don't think it's as bad as what people people were anticipating, at least for the Appalachian League. I know people, when, when you hear Summer Collegiate League, are you getting a guy who maybe is a freshman at Boston College but didn't play the entire year? Like, it, it's tough, it's tough yeah, to you... tell. But I think for this, I think it's uh, it's safe to say that, or maybe not safe to say, but it's likely that you're, you could be seeing elite, top-of-the-line top of college talent in this app, in this new Appalachian League, 
Yeah, and some, when you hear the summer collegiate term, you don't know what exactly you're getting. You could be getting, like you said, Cape Cod League level, or you could be getting like a Coastal Plain League level that are you know, two of the more higher profile uh, summer wooden bat leagues, or you could be getting something like, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be some people that went and watched this league, but the future collegiate baseball league level where it's like, okay, yeah. it's yeah, there's a drop off here and there's that's noticeable. So I, I assume from everything you're saying, because I can be quite honest, I don't know much, if anything, about college uh, baseball. So I see USA Baseball affiliation and national team, and those terms don't, don't mean much to me. Uh, but I assume just kind of gathering everything from the past few minutes that this now means a lot of talent from those Coastal Plain League, from the Cape Cod League, from the one league that I'm forgetting about, but they're kind of in the Midwest, but does have a higher profile. Those leagues are going to now be kind of siphoned off talent-wise, and mm. now they're all going to be funneled into this Appalachian League. Now, what I am kind of curious is, if you are named to this national team, you know, you're one of the 25 guys here, and I assume if this is just for freshmen and sophomores, then another one of these leagues that we saw kind of, you know, guess totally get kicked to the curb, that's a rookie ball uh league i assume one's now going to get transferred into juniors and seniors as well i do wonder are these guys that are on this national team are they going to have the ability to go look i don't want to have to go play in kingston tennessee for the summer i want to be able to go play in like i don't know uh, savannah georgia i want to go play it out in cape cod i want to go play out in missouri or wherever wherever it may be maybe you know you're from Georgia, so playing in that Coastal Plain League appeals to you a lot more than going and playing in a uh, in Appalachia. I I do want to know a little bit about that flexibility. Money wise, it probably will be better as long as they can make it very clear that look, we're the same team. We may have changed the branding we've had for the past thirty plus years, but we are the same exact team. We're still going to provide you a, the same kind of experience. It's just a new name with different players in here. And if they're able to kind of market like how good these players are, I think it will, it will speak for itself. I do think, though, and despite being clearly a high-caliber league and clearly having high-caliber high players, I wonder if it would have been better for some of these teams to focus mainly on uh, getting guys that are local you know, guys that may have went to West Virginia, went to Tennessee, went to Marshall, went to a lot of schools in that general region, because then you could kind of play on the, look, it's like you're supporting your local college, or it's like you're supporting your alumni, that kind of thing. Maybe that plays in a little bit better. Uh, obviously, you know, if you have high quality talent, that could draw some people to the ballpark too, especially if they're used to affiliated ball and seeing guys kind of come up along the way. That's definitely a draw. But at the same time, I I do wonder a little bit how much of the, the fluctuation, the change is going to affect uh, the league as a whole. Yeah, it's it's again, there's a lot there's a lot of unknown here because this is this is so new. I, I do. It, it's hard. It's hard to really pinpoint w what is going to happen here. And I guess it depends on if you're a fan. Uh, who lives who lives in that area what's important to you are you just are you just going to see high level talent are you maybe um an elizabethton twins fan but so you're also a minnesota twins fan so maybe you don't you don't really you don't really care about this so i think it all depends on each individual person and the, and their perspective 
Uh, I, I do think, though, uh, especially because, I mean, you read the part of the statement, it says MLB and USA Baseball have already begun the process of identifying and inviting the top 320 players to participate in the 2021 Appalachian League. That makes it sound like we're going to have some really good prospects in this league, uh, a lot of good talent. But here, the, the, the thing is here is, again, this is 10 teams out of the say the 40, 42 plus teams that are going to be cut. And the reality is, is that MLB and USA Baseball can't pull this off for every team that gets um, that gets their minor league affiliation cut. I think it's great for these 10. I think it's pretty good for these 10 teams uh, and the Appalachian League as a whole. But this is not something they can do for a Staten Island Yankees. This is not something they can do. Yeah, there's 32. Ca- there's, yeah, there's 32 communities that are going to be left in the dark here and they're not going to be able to get something like this. And then there's other areas that I mean, in the Appalachian League, it's a lot easier because a lot of those stadiums are paid off. They're older and they are what they are. But in the same time, there's a lot of areas that those stadiums aren't paid off. They were funded by municipal money. They were funded by state and county money as well. So obviously local governments and state governments, they want to see a professional team there. They paid for a professional team. They want one there. And also it's just there's not that many players to go around. It there's comes a certain point where you go, look, there's only so many guys of such a high level at a college level you know there's only so many top prospects before you run out of them and then you're seeing guys that let's be honest at the end of their college career they're probably going to wind up in an indie league anyway so why wait might as well just get the guys that are further along in that so there's that but the term that i pick up on there is invited which does imply there is an option that it's not all right you could go play summer college ball here or you could just not play college ball or summer oh, college no, ball. no 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 yeah. i i think at the end of the day it's up to the players but i think uh the the players i mean you would think if you're a top college prospect at the end of the day you're, you're trying to get seen by as many mlb scouts as possible and you're trying to get drafted uh as high as possible so you can make the most money and i think that i mean of course i, I don't think anybody would would uh disagree with that living in Cape Cod for a summer is better than living in the middle of Tennessee. However, I think if I would, I would assume most uh, top college athletes goal is to get to the pros and get seen by scouts and get drafted uh, in the first or second round. Then I think this is probably, it's probably a no brainer. Yeah. It's just going to be interesting to see how everything turns out. You know, it's so much unknown here still. And there's obviously 32 other teams, like we just said, that are kind of, hanging in the balance here, possibly even more, depending on how many uh, independent league teams become affiliated. And with that, uh, I suppose we could talk a little bit more about affiliated ball because the MILB-MLB partnership died as we record. It's October 2nd, so at midnight on October 1st, it officially ended. There is no more real tie between MILB and Major League Baseball, something that existed for over a hundred years is no longer in existence. And at least from what I can gather now, uh, Major League Baseball can just kind of pick through the bones and kind of sort out their own affiliates and go, okay, uh, I'm the Mets. I want these four teams. So I'm going to try and work my whole deal to get my four settled. Same thing for the Texas Rangers, same thing for the twins, same thing for Mm -hmm. whomever it may be. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're now in totally unchartered territory. And it would appear at least that, uh, <laughs> obviously MILB is not happy about it. But, uh, 
yeah, I don't really know know where to take it from here because it's just so unknown. We don't know what comes next. I think we all have a rough idea that it's going to be major league teams trying to sort out their affiliations for next year and kind of just going from there. But the whole process and who will last, who won't last is still extremely uh, volatile at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I think you you're 100 percent right, Nick. There is there is still a lot of unknown. I think we're still. It sounds like we're like weeks and maybe maybe months away from getting that final list of who stays, who goes. But you're 100 percent right in the sense that right now, with no tie between the MLB and MILB, look, it's on the teams, and it's on the teams to say that basically MLB has told them. Look, you have you got to pick four teams. Um, obviously, you have your spring training affiliate, you have your Dominican Summer League uh, affiliate as well. Now you have uh, you have four affiliates in in the U.S. Now you have your your uh, your single A, your high A, um, your double A, your triple A. Go pick, um, go work out your deals. Go pick up um, teams that you want, and that's pretty much that. And so it's. Like you said, it's so it's such uncharted or uncharted territory, and there's there's going to be a lot of news breaking over the next couple uh, over the next few weeks and months. And it, it, once we start to see who's who's in, who's out, and it's going to be it, it, it's sad because you know there's it's more than just oh this this city doesn't have baseball anymore. There's lots of jobs attached. Obviously, there's uh, there's like surrounding like surrounding small businesses restaurants hotels that that really make uh make a good make a good living off uh, having a minor league team nearby but unfortunately as we've talked about uh for a couple months now the mlb has all the leverage this is just the way it's going to be at this point you have you have to cut two affiliates in the u.s why obviously the Appalachian League's teams are gone at this point. Teams really face a lot of uncertainty at this point, and it's it's tough for those teams. And unfortunately, it's really a a free for all for MLB teams at this point to just cut affiliates that they see fit. And that's kind of that's just the reality of the situation. So it's a sad situation, but it's definitely one to watch as it unfolds over the ne- over the next few months or so yeah it's it's also just economics aside there's also a bit of a pride thing too because you know of the 32 teams even if you want to say another 10 turn to to uh college one bat leagues and then let's say another even 15 from there wind up turning into independent league teams it still leaves what seven in the dark so seven of them are just out of luck I mean, like, there's yeah. only so many markets that can really go into independent league ball. I mean, sure, some of them may wind up going to, like, a Pecos League or that Western Association League, but who knows how long those teams are really going to last. I mean, if you really want to ensure stability and make sure that you're in a position to succeed, you need to be in one of the big three leagues. you got to either be Frontier, Atlantic, or American Association. If you're not one of those three, you're really not in a great spot, I suppose, if you know, you had a decent enough ballpark, maybe the United Short League would consider it, but they seem to just be considering newer ballparks. And obviously, the ballparks were up to snuff. They wouldn't have been cut to begin with. So 
it's unfortunate there just the whole way it goes down really is unfortunate you, you hit on the uh, economic side of it how there's so many businesses that are really connected to everything and how already it's just unfortunate and the thing that's unfortunate is it's not being done out of really any other reason at least from what i can see in my mind other than just saving some money and streamlining some things i don't really see yeah. it as necessary if you had to cut one affiliate I guess it's fine. Those teams could all probably find a place to be either summer collegiate or otherwise. But the fact that it's 42 teams, I mean, that's that's a very large number. I mean, you could in your own right form two fairly good sized leagues just from the teams that were cut. I mean, right. just on an independent league level, you could probably form about three or four teams just from that group of cut teams in and of itself. So it's, it's unfortunate that it's being done mainly monetarily. They will cover with, oh, well, we want to streamline it. You don't really need this many. Yeah, but you could afford it. And the reason why the current system evolved to what it was was because teams said, oh, well, if we can have more affiliates, we can develop more players. And the, it's just the cost of development. And I understand, you know, if you're running it as a business, which, I mean, if you own a billion-dollar entity, then, yeah, you want to run it like a business. I get it that your goal then is to make money and to cut expenses, but still, it's just, it, I just, just, it doesn't sit right with me how everything's went down. And I, we've been down this road before and just with such uncertainty, like you were talking about and how now it's on every team to just kind of figure it out as they go along. It's unfortunate the way everything went and I don't know how it's going to all shake out. It's probably going to shake out different ways. I mean, it's first probably going to be reported as, oh, it's going this way. So then we're going to say it went that way. And then it's going to go, actually, it's going in a different direction. Then we'll have to say that. And, you know, it's it's going to be really uncertain. And obviously, we're going to keep up with it. We're going to cover it as it goes along. We're going to give our thoughts on it as we go along. But it's just, again, it just the whole situation is unfortunate as it is. And it just, the whole thing doesn't sit right. Yeah. I think I think I think you said everything. It's really, really unfortunate that it had to be this way, but it's inevitable at this point. Exactly, you saw it coming. It's like being tied to the tracks when a train's coming through. You know it's gonna hit you, but when it does, it's still a bit of a shock. But uh, with that said, there is just a little bit how it relates to independent league ball that I do want to touch on here because technically none of that directly relates to independent league ball. It, it does relate, but not directly. I do want to mention uh, one quote that I saw in an email that I received, which, to be fair, if you're on the Jackal's mailing list, you also got this email. It's not even like a press list. It's just like a promotional list. It has an Al Dorso quote in it, which I thought was interesting and maybe we could talk about for just a minute, which was, uh, he said, since my involvement in professional baseball, my goal was to unite all, all independent league baseball teams under one umbrella, which... There's just there's something about that statement that I found interesting. That his goal when he bought the miners was all right. I'm gonna go from having this Can-Am League expansion team to getting every independent league team in this country and in Canada under one roof. Yeah, seemed, I don't know about that. It seems awfully uh, aspirational. Uh, for nothing else, just under. Uh, 
under the sense of travel, if, you, or if you're talking about them in the sense I'm thinking about it as one league, if you're just saying we want them all governed by one entity, then that's different than you're talking about making it like the CHL, which, I mean, that's that's completely different. But yeah, I just it's a very interesting quote there. And one of the things I thought was like, uh, I, I like the way the system's set up right now. It works perfectly fine for as far as I'm concerned. And then this next thing I thought was, well... If they were to unite under one roof, we get closer to that kind of you know, indie ball cup thing I've wanted for quite some time. I kind of took it as it was kind of like misworded in yeah. the sense that he was just kind of he was just kind of wanted independently ball kind of governed by uh, by by one en- entity, which I think in this case is Major League Baseball. I kind of took it as uh, I kind of took it, uh, of course I was taken aback by by uh, the quote in general, but I kind of thought. You know, I, I can't see him, like you said, buying in a Can-Am expansion league and saying, uh, one day I want to make I want to make this ginormous indie league. And I'm like, well, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's 100 percent true. I think it was probably not worded like it should have been, in my opinion. Yeah, it's more or less I want everything under one governing body. I yeah. think like that CHL kind of model where it's like, okay, well, this is the uniform rule set across the board. This is the uniform way things are done across the board. And everyone has their own different league, but, you know, we're all playing by, the, generally speaking, the same rule set. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which I do think that would take away some of the charm of independent league baseball, though. I mean, that's, that's kind of the appeal where it's like, okay, if you want to watch, and I know this is going to, Maybe not be worded the correctly, but if you want to watch traditional baseball, real baseball, you can watch the American Association that doesn't have any sort of alteration in the rules whatsoever. It's, it's literally just straight up baseball. Then if you want to watch slightly modified baseball, there's the Frontier League where it's like, okay, we're by and large, we play baseball the same way that's normally been played, the traditional way it's been played. But when you get to extra innings, you have the extra innings rule, and there's a couple of other rules. And then if you just, you know, don't care about any of that, there's the Atlantic League, where um, undoubtedly you're getting the highest level of talent, certainly. But you're also getting a bunch of kind of funky rules. You're getting uh, a totally different experience when you watch those games, because it's like, okay, why was that a Bach? Oh, wait, because that pickoff move's illegal. Okay, uh, why is there like a delay when the umpire is calling a ball and a strike? Oh, because he got the earpiece and yeah. the base seems bigger. That, that's because it is. And that's just a couple of things off the top of my head. But I mean, I kind of like that charm. There's a little bit of, there's a league for everyone. You know, if you're just stuck with, I want it the way it was, I don't want anything changed or something for that. If you're open to change or something for that. And if you're just like, I want it totally different, but keeping basically the same principles, there's something for that too. I kind of like that. I'm, the uniform thing, the only way I would really like it is if we got closer to my goal of having that kind of indie ball memorial cup type thing. Yeah, I see what you mean. The the, the interesting part of that is the Frontier League and the Can-Am League combining into a like a, a larger indie league than we've ever really seen before. It's almost maybe that's what he was kind of referring to. I, I don't know, to be honest. Maybe instead of maybe he was talking about kind of making a, a really big indie league like we like we see now at the Frontier League. Maybe that's what he was referencing? I, I, I at first, that's what I thought, because it was like, oh, I want to see him... Uh, what was the exact quote? So I'm not misquoting here. 
yeah, I want them all under one umbrella. So I, that was my first immediate thought here. Plus, I mean, he said he wanted to go up to 20 teams from the 14 they were at. So, I mean, that was like two teams a year he'd be heading for a couple of years there. So, I mean, that was my first thought. But then I was like, that's not really feasible. I just can't see the Atlantic League being like, you know what? This benefits us. We should merge under one banner. And like the same thing said for the American Association. I mean, they've been around since about, I want to say like, 2009 2010 roughly there i want to say i could be off about that i know they were the northern league for a while so for them to jump around it's not terribly different but at the same time it's like i i just don't see how that would really work i just don't think that many people on the same page are all going to go along with that but i do know dorsa was one of the one of the guys really pushing for the let's combine with the frontier league so maybe it was, but I just, it's uh, it's interesting to see. I just thought it was an interesting thing to bring up, and maybe that turns into something. Yeah, maybe it does. I don't know. I think I think only uh, time will tell. And I know uh, since you, you and James did an episode that, boy, it seems like so long ago, yeah. about, um, about like a giant, uh, about a giant indie league. I mean, it's closer to becoming true now than it ever was before, that's for sure. Exactly. I mean, like, really, when you think, like, and a lot of times it's just spitballing a bunch of stuff with, like, the expectation, oh, it'll never happen, but then it happens. So, who knows, maybe it's yeah. night, maybe it'll actually happen. That'd, that'd be crazy, but uh, regardless, we could go to an indie league that actually exists right now, and that's the American Association. A couple little pieces of news from there. And uh, yeah, so we have Winnipeg naming Kyle Martin their 2020 Shaw hardest working gold eye player. Uh, the award's essentially a mixture between hardest worker, most dedicated, and MVP. Uh, I just kind of take it as a team MVP. So it's a good example and everything. And Kyle Martin, there's a very strong case to be made that he was the best gold eye this year. There's a couple other guys that you could, I guess, make a case for, but Kyle Martin certainly is one of the guys that immediately comes to mind. Uh, he did terrific this year. He started off the year on like a torrent pace. I think he hit like a home run in the first three games or the first yeah. three or five games, something along those lines. And then he, he wound up, I believe actually wound up being a, uh, American Association All-Star this year as well at first base. But if not, he was one of the guys we were saying he should have been or I would have swapped him out for. I know he was way up on the top of the list there. But regardless of that, so he wins uh, the Winnipeg Team Award. And then the other news is our guy, uh, really the show is a huge fan of this guy, Peyton Gray. And we've been talking about how all year Peyton Gray needs to have his contract purchased because he's too good for this league. Peyton Gray is a, you know, you can't have an ERA of zero in 34 games and, or 34 innings pitched, 32 games, and not have your contract purchased. Well, his contract was purchased by the Kansas City Royals earlier this week. So congratulations to Peyton Gray and I guess Kyle Martin, too, for getting named a Shaw Hardest Worker. But Peyton Gray is now uh, officially in a major league system. And uh, I will go on record by saying I will be getting a Peyton Gray uh, kind of shirt. <laughs> you know, the ones that got the player name in the back, if he makes the major leagues, because Peyton Gray just seems like uh, he seems like he's going to have a very good shot, at, I think, at least of getting to the higher levels of uh, minor league baseball and possibly, yeah. possibly cracking it. Because, again, this is probably the most talented year the American Association's ever seen. Agreed. Just between guys not having anywhere else to play and affiliated guys coming over to play and 
really uh, this we've talked about in the past why the level of play was so high and he just mowed through him there was no real point where you're like oh maybe he's in danger i mean he allowed two runs all year and those two runs came in the postseason and one was a solo shot where he then quickly slammed the door and the other one yeah, it was a little bit of a jam, and he let up one run, but it was at the point where it's like, okay, you could trade the run for it out, and that's what they did. So it's he did a fantastic job. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, first of all, thank goodness that somebody uh, somebody saw what what was what Peyton Gray was doing in the American Association this year. I mean, if you start off the the season with like I don't know ten scoreless innings, that's great, but I mean. But there's a lot of people who would think like, all right, it, there's there's some room for regression here. I mean, he literally went the entire regular season without giving up a run, which is just unheard of in a league that was as talented as the American Association was this year. Thank goodness the Kansas City Royals um, saw saw Peyton Gray and picked him up. And I I, I honestly I'm pro- once spring training hits next year I'm gonna try and tune into some Royals games to try and see hopefully if he gets in the game uh in, in down in Arizona and then hopefully he's probably assigned double A double A maybe triple A to start next year and then oh man uh, if there's anybody who in, in pitching pitching an indie ball and you think that um that they could potentially become uh, MLB players. I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because again, it's it, it is you know it's a sixty yeah. game season. But man, I, I, I'm I'm really excited for him. I I really hope that um everything works out well for him, and it just shows what uh what kind of stage indie ball can give you. I mean, he's undrafted and was hurt mostly in his time with I want to say the Rangers organization, but uh, I think he, it was Colorado. I think it was Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Yes. 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 Sorry, Colorado. Uh, yeah, Rangers, Rockies, similar. Yeah, same. Uh, both are exactly but, close uh, enough. It, it's great for him. It shows what what kind of what indie ball definitely serves as, and hopefully he gets start to shot to start in Double A next year. You know, every guy that makes it is just a success story, and you can see the whole kind of community rallies behind them. And I mean, Peyton Gray has as good a shot as anybody. It, there's one thing when you go, oh, he had two good weeks, and then he got contract purchase from there. He had two good months arguably three right. good months that he was playing. I mean, the 20, what was it, 34 innings pitched, that's not a small sample size. It tells you what you need to know. It's a good enough sample to go, okay, well, yeah, if we played a regular season, he probably wouldn't have had an area of zero, but it certainly wouldn't have been that much higher. <laughs> so, and then you also have to factor in, if we were in a regular season, he con- his contract probably would have been purchased a lot earlier, or the talent level would have been lower, so he would have had just as good of odds of doing what he was doing. Because you would have had mm-hmm. less affiliated guys in there. You would have had probably more guys going to the Atlantic League or the Frontier League playing that otherwise didn't. And uh, there's just uh, there's a lot of reasons to think that he will succeed, and hopefully he does. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens from there with him. Yeah, but, 100%. Uh, awesome. Con- congratulations to Peyton Gray. Yep, Definitely definitely there so uh we'll move on now to the kind of the final thing we have for today it's a bit of a shorter show but like i said there's not too too much in the way of news this week and that is the new york boulders have a new manager i didn't even realize that they weren't going to bring kevin Baez back but apparently he uh, informed the team he wanted to pursue opportunities in affiliated ball 
So uh, they had to go out and replace him, and they picked a pretty good replacement. Uh, TJ Stanton was named manager of the Boulders. He played for 10 years. Eight of them were in the Can-Am League. And he managed the Garden State Grays, the traveling team, in 2015. And then midway through the 2016 team, he took over for Three Rivers. He has been there for 2016, 17, 18, and 19. Overall, his total record was 162 to 173, which sounds rougher than it really is because if you just factor in 18 and 19, his record is 111 and 85. Two playoff appearances, obviously those last two years, uh, both for first round exits, but it's only a two round playoff in the Can-Am League. And he was the manager of the year in 2019. I originally started coaching as a player coach for the Quebec Capitals in 2011. And like I said, he replaced Kevin Baez, who in his time in New York went 43 and 50. Obviously, he's probably better known in independent league circles and in general as the Long Island Ducks manager for quite some time. He was 571 to 516 in his time in Long Island, won two Atlantic League championships, went to the championship game six times. And he only missed the playoffs once in his 11 tenure or 11 year tenure in Long Island or on Long Island rather. But uh, um, yeah, TJ Stanton is now in in Pomona, New York. Thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was a great hire. I really did. Um, I, I again, like you, I was kind of taken aback that Kevin Baez wasn't back in Rockland for another year. I guess I I, I guess I it, I didn't know that. Um, I, I didn't know that. He was he left on his own accord. I based on the statement, I kind of thought he he was just let go after one year, but I guess not. And uh, it's really hard to do much better than a guy like T.J. Stanton. I mean, he had a good amount of success in his uh, with Three Rivers, and not to mention, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the career record, and yes, it's a losing record. Again, though, managing in Three Rivers is not exactly like. The, it's not exactly the easiest place to win. It doesn't have, uh, you know, the. It's not. It's not the easiest place to re- recruit players to and, and stuff like that. It, it's kind of like in, in Atlantic League terms, it's much easier to become the manager and have a better record with uh, with Somerset or Long Island than it is to go manage um, with like Southern Maryland or New Britain when they existed. It's just not as easy to kind of recruit players there. Uh, so I think his I think he's definitely a better manager than uh, his record gives him credit for. And I think uh, now with obviously a big a big name like the like the Rockland slash New York Boulders, I think he, he I think he'll have a lot of success. I think it's a really good uh, a really really good hire for um for for Rockland. Absolutely, I'm going to be interested to see uh, what staff he brings in, what staff he keeps around. I'm going to be interested to see how he kind of builds there. I know he's a guy that really likes offense. He builds offensive-based teams quite, he goes really heavy into that. Sure, in the last couple of years, he was in uh, Three Rivers, particularly 2019. He had some really solid uh, pitchers. The two that really come to mind, Garrett Mundell and uh, Garrett Harris, too. Uh, those two were really, really solid guys from, I believe they actually started the year in Winnipeg and then they wound up getting cut, but even still, they did very well. And oh, there's one other guy, one other guy that uh, Dominic Maza. He was also pretty good for uh, for the Eagles too. But even still, he can get that pitching. But he likes the offense. If you go to Baseball Reference and just look at the page, there's several guys that were batting 
300 or above for him. Uh, actually, he was he had Tucker Nathans on his team amongst other guys. Tucker and, Nathans, and, yeah, Jersey okay. Wise Guys legend. Hey, look, Tucker Nathans may be staying in the tri-state now. Maybe wind up yeah. as a Rockland Boulder. I could see that. I mean, he has it makes, success it there. Make a lot of sense. Yep. And so for a guy that likes to build offense-heavy teams, Rockland's about as good as a ballpark as you're going to get. You have two short porches. Sure, center field's deep, but whatever there. It's still a place where a lot of home runs get hit and a lot of mm-hmm. offense can form. I saw one interview he was doing, and he said, look, when I've managed in Rockland for three rivers, when we'd be in Rockland, I'd be telling my guys, no lead safe here. It's not because very quickly things can turn on you. Right. You may think in the fourth inning you have a three run lead, we're good. This it's not gonna change, but fourth time through the lineup, they put up five runs and now we're down by two. So yeah. I, this seems like a very, very good hire. Plus he was able to get that kind of talent, like you said, in three rivers where I mean if we're being honest, out of the three Canadian markets that were in the Can Am League, it's probably the least appealing of all three. I you I think if you put them in suburban New York, it's going to become a lot easier to recruit guys in. And I'm going to be very interested to see next year how Rockland does. Obviously, they did make the postseason in 2019. They were an underperforming team, though. I mean, they went sub 500. And there was really two teams at the top for most of the regular season. Then obviously the third team, the Jackals, came up and took the championship from all of them. But... A disappointing season from what Rockland's used to. I think Stanton's the kind of guy that can get everything back on track. Agreed. I think, uh, and you mentioned that the no lead safe. I went to probably like, like four or five All American Baseball Challenge games, and hmm. out of out of all those games, I probably saw in, in like the first four games I went to, Rockland being the last game I went to for the season. It was because it was my first time actually up in uh, up in up in Rockland, yeah. and. There was probably in total like like two or three home runs that I saw in the first four games. I went to Rockland. There was five in that one game, and uh, yeah, it's a total it band box. Yeah, I know, and and I'm telling you because the when when there was general admission, so I could sit wherever I want. I went right to that right field porch. I yeah. mean, I it was. I, it, I, let me just tell you, if you if you go to Rockland and you want to see a baseball game from a really cool perspective, sit in that right field, right in that right over that like tiny fence in right field. Oh man, that is a really cool place to watch a game because you were like really, really, actually field level. Like you have conversations with the right fielder. I mean, um, I mean, me and Zach Recusen were chopping it up over there. But um, <laughs> done the was, same thing in left field. Yeah, I mean left left field. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty short too. There was probably like three home runs hit out there. So it, it's, I definitely, I definitely see what you mean. And it sounds back to the point. I know that kind of yeah. went off, off the rails a little bit, but, uh, but TJ Stanton definitely seems like a really, really good fit with the boulders. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if that winning, uh, winning culture kind of gets restored there. Yep. Absolutely. So now we know there's at least two frontier league openings up now. We know Ottawa's going to need a, t- a manager. We know Three Rivers is now going to need a manager. And supposedly there's a couple other openings too. So I'm going to be very curious to see who winds up filling these openings. Uh, I, I do wonder for at least Ottawa if maybe they try and bring back one of their old guys. I think uh, Bouchard could be an option too. He was a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least as long time as you can be for the Ottawa champions. He was like, he played there for a while. He was in Canada for a while. Maybe he's an option. There's a couple other guys that uh, 
could possibly fill it, but it's going to be curious to see, or I'm going to be curious to see how everything winds up shaking out. 100%, yeah. Yep. All right. So with that said, I don't think there's really much else left to talk about. Bit of a shorter podcast, but like I've been saying throughout the show, there's not much to talk about this week. Uh, uh, next week, hopefully there'll be more news to talk about, but uh, yeah, until then, we're just going to plug and get out of here. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod or on Instagram at ALPB underscore news or at IndieBallReport. <coughs> if you want to find our show notes that include all the links to everything we discussed today or you want to find our articles, of which there should be a new one coming up uh, sometime this weekend. So when you listen to this, assume it's going to be up on Sunday. If not, I'm that means I got lazy and it'll be up on Monday, but it'll be up fairly soon about the MLB partnership, just kind of reactions from everybody and what we know so far. Uh, that article, videos, and the show notes, like I just mentioned, as well as links to everything and all the, actually all the episodes as well, that's on the website, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube at Indie Ball Report Podcast. And uh, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcast. Like I said, wherever you find podcasts, we're more than likely there. So uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add? The only thing I have to add is... All this stuff about Clint, and I know I'm a little bit different uh, than James in the sense that I usually do have something to add because I like just going off the rails a little bit. Yeah. But my one thing to add is Clayton Kershaw, people have to stop about about this whole dumb narrative that Clayton Kershaw can't pitch in the playoffs. It's not statistically true. And he, he's, he's the greatest pitcher of our generation, and people need to stop acting like Clayton Kershaw is some bum in the postseason. And he showed again last night, eight shutout innings against the Brewers, 13 strikeouts. Stop sleeping on my man Clayton Kershaw and give him the respect he deserves. That's it. But rings. How many uh, I mean, rings? Sure. Rings. I'm just saying, how many times has he went to the World Series and come away a winner? I mean, that's not his fault. I mean, one, you have, you're uh, facing a bunch uh, of cheaters. And then the other time, you ran into the buzzsaw of the Boston Red Sox. I mean, to be fair, your first statement, you know, weren't the Red Sox caught up in something like that? Okay. I, if you, if you want to go into the actual details of what happened in that in in that. And it was nowhere near as bad as the Astros. And I'm willing to I'm willing to bet like that everybody did the exact same thing as the Red Sox. And the, the and not to mention, every pitch, it was only when we got to second base, like, like it's been doing since the dawn of time. So I might sound like a Red Sox homer, but those are just the facts of the case. Like you're talking to somebody that doesn't think the Astros did that much wrong. But then again, I also root for New England. So I mean, like, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So... Yikes. What do they do wrong? They walked away with... At least one piece of metal. And that's really the important <laughs> thing. It's it more offensive. just a piece of metal. Who cares? Exactly. I, mean, I mean, these playoff games today, who cares? I mean, we're just talking about a piece of metal. Exactly. It's just a piece of metal. All right. So with that said, nothing else left to add. Uh, you know the drill. Until next time, don't forget to play Paul. Paul.